0: Welcome to Homestead Story. We're Peter and Kristen.
1: Join us as we share a new but old kind of family life.
0: Hello, everyone. This is Peter and Kristen coming to you from our Maryland homestead in February.
1: Yeah, I think in the last podcast we were talking about How we were waiting for that one good snowstorm to come.
0: The opposite of that.
1: Yeah, it's been the opposite. It's been, this week has been like 60, 70 degrees. And this is not, this is unheard of for Maryland. Usually February is just freezing and we get big snowstorms and it's been like spring.
0: Yeah, the last couple of years was really, really cold.
1: Yeah, usually stay-at-home moms and homeschool moms go into a bit of a...
0: Anyone with a baby. Yeah,
1: go into despair in February, but yeah. it's been really great. My kids have been outside all day, every day in February, so it's been a really easy winter.
0: It has been super easy.
1: And so I've been actually gardening all week. I thought I was going to have a little bit more time because you know usually things don't start coming back to life until... March, but all my early herbs, like my spearmint and my catmint, they're all starting to come alive. So I realized I didn't have as much time as I thought, so I had to go back and cut down all the old wood All the old stems. Well,
0: herbaceous plant means it grows back from the ground every year. Yes.
1: So So you, you
0: want to cut it down to a couple inches away from the ground.
1: Yeah, so like my oregano, it grows up every year, and then it dies in the freeze, and you cut it back, and then it grows back up from the ground. So I'm out there with big shears, cutting everything back.
0: It looks really neat, though, when it's cut back. Because everything's the same size, the bed is, is prepped and yeah. it looks like it's just ready to start growing. Yeah, and the spearmint, February. if you're
1: looking for, I mean, these herbs, the smell, so like the oregano, it's so strong, but the spearmint, I walk out my door and the wind blows and it smells like spearmint, and it is the most amazing smell in the world, I think. If you're looking for a great herb, spearmint is wonderful.
0: And what I love about having herbs like that all around the backyard is being able to just walk past them and grab a leaf and eat it. And
1: Yeah, I love just touching it and then you get the oils on your hands and your hand smells like spearmint. I love that.
0: Yeah, it's really great.
1: I also love, so for spring herbs, so a lot of herbs bloom in the summer, but another great spring herb is catmint. I love the catmint. It's these gorgeous flowers and they come out May, April, May. So I have this long border of catmint and I went outside and it's starting to come alive. Again, this doesn't, it doesn't start to come alive usually till March. And I decided that I actually want it in another part of my yard. So the past week I've been transplanting my catmint from one place to another and I am really sore. I have not done anything really. I mean upper body strength. I run you know every day, but
0: yeah, well, the other morning, Kristen was like, My back hurts, I can't get out of bed.
1: <laughs> I wasn't used to doing all that that quickly, and i but I was like, I have to move this cabinet, I have to move it before it gets too big and too you know i so i I moved
0: yeah. Well, hopefully it it does cool down a little bit and slow down spring just a bit. One of the dangers of having a really, really early spring like this is not that it's getting warm, but it fakes out all of the fruit trees into blooming. And as soon as they bloom and then we get one freeze, it freezes all the blossoms off of them. So fruit growers, I think, are really scared right now that they're going to lose most of their fruit. Um, We weren't going to get much of a harvest this year anyway, but we might lose whatever harvest we were going to get.
1: Yeah, and that's where you have to, it's depressing, but you have to just kind of realize that it's not all in your control.
0: (laughs) Right, it is what it is, so we'll see what happens. So the other thing we did yesterday was we have a well here at our house that we get our water from, and we installed a well hand pump. So my parents, who are awesome, got us this uh, really nice stainless steel airplane machined Hand pump.
1: Wait, what is airplane
0: machine? I don't know. I think that means like really, really nice.
1: Oh <gasps> what
0: that, that <laughs> means. That's what they call it.
1: Airplane machined?
0: Yeah, like like two very specific sizes.
1: I don't have any idea what you're talking about. It doesn't
0: about. fly. Anyway. <laughs> I
1: don't know what that means.
0: I don't know what it means either. Um,
1: you could have said it.
0: So last year our well pump failed, and so it just so happened that I didn't have any of the troughs filled with water and we we go out one morning and none of the water works. And, and I'm like, oh no, what are we going to... What am I going to do? I need water for my cows. Like, mm-hmm. we can't just go to the store and get a gallon of water. They, they, yeah. They're going to want 30, 40 gallons of water today. So, anyway, it made me nervous that uh, we didn't have any redundant setup for getting water. And I didn't want to take a quarter mile walk through the woods to the reservoir to get buckets of water. So, anyway, we've got a hand pump now. So, if our well pump fails Wait, forget, or we lose why did water the, power, I forget
1: why did the well pump fail last it year? It just broke. Oh, that's yeah, right. You need it to just replace broke. It. But we could
0: easily, I mean, we get storms through here all the time. We could easily lose power for three, four, five days. Yeah. Um, Or if the EMP hits, you know, and society fails, we would would also lose power. Explain
1: what the EMP is.
0: Yeah, that's uh, one of the scenarios for how... electromagnetic pulse. We're not
1: preppers, but we're finding that we're becoming preppers.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Either way, we can get water now just by pumping it. Like you, you see someone pumping a well. Yeah, you it's know, fun. We've got that.
1: I know. I saw it and the first thing I thought of is um, my friend's children are going to destroy that real fast, so you got to figure out a way to... Yeah,
0: we might remove the handle. (laughs) Yeah. Keep the kids from tearing it up.
1: You know who you are, my friends' children. (laughs) (laughs) I won't name names, but (laughs) I don't know how long a well pump would last when they decided it'd be fun to pump it. Yeah. Anyway. So today, we are going to talk about a question that we get quite often, which is, how do you have the time? That's one thing people come over here all the time, you know, families with young children like us, and they just look around, and, and that's the one thing I hear over and over again. How do you have the time? So today we're going to kind of give a little overview um, of how we have the time, and homesteading is probably not what you think.
0: Right. How do you have the time, and isn't that a lot of work? That's the other comment, and that goes along with this, is the second somebody finds out we're doing something, he's like, you know, that's a lot of work. I mean, like... Yeah. Well maybe.
1: Yeah, right. Maybe it is. Right. And when I say what we do in my out loud, it does sound like we're kinda crazy people. So when I say, Oh yeah, we have a dairy cow and we milk the dairy cow every day. Pete works a full time job. We have ten acres, we have tons of gardens, we have twenty four chickens, along with two cows, we have two dogs, two cats, four little children. The craziest thing of all. Two in diapers, we homeschool our children. Oh, we have a rental property. Oh, we volunteer at churches. Um, What else? It sounds crazy. Yeah, and we sleep. We have a good social life. We have a lot of awesome... We have the best friends in the world. You know, when I say everything we do, it sounds ridiculous and undoable. (laughs) But it, you know, works really well.
0: It does work really well. So how do we have the time?
1: Yeah, how do we have the time? Oh, and I will say, I mean, when I remember when I had my one baby, my first baby, and he was you know, so hard, and I just remember thinking, like, this takes every ounce of energy and time that I have, you know, I couldn't possibly do another thing, and you look at these families with big families that are homeschooling with a baby, and it's just amazing how life changes, and how your time grows with you and, and changes with you. Right. So, well,
0: our first baby cried seventeen hours a day, had really, really bad colic, and it was it was like introduction to parenthood by fire. I mean, it was just it was so hard. And I remember looking at the baby and just just feeling like I'll never even like be able to make myself food again.
1: Yeah, like, I can't yeah. do
0: anything right it was now. Like, I didn't so have time to brush my teeth baby.
1: today. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, and then all of a sudden, you're doing hard.
1: all these other things and. You know, it's just amazing. So anyway, we're going to talk about how we, how we have time. I say we start at the beginning of the day, at 6 a.m., when it's time to milk the cow. And I think it's important to talk about milking the cow because I think a lot of people, they go visit farms and they hear about what's entailed with milking a cow, but they don't realize that's not how it... I've had a lot of people say, oh, I heard you have to milk the cow at 4 a.m., Right. Well, I
0: milk the cow at six because that's when I want to. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's when I want to wake up in the morning. That's a very convenient time for me to get out of bed. Yeah. And you can milk the cow whenever you want to. Yep. A lot of people will milk their cow twice a day. We decided pretty early on that that was going to be too much work and we didn't need that much milk. Mm -hmm. So we're doing a once a day milking.
1: And we get two gallons a day from once a day milking. And we talked about this in one of the episodes, I think analysis paralysis. We talked about, we got the mom and the calf. So the calf cleans out the mom's milk so we don't have to worry about her, you know, getting an infection or anything like that. And you have to milk the cow at the same time every day, but you can choose what that time is gonna be and get the cow used to that.
0: Right. Within about a half hour be consistent about it. And so I milk the cow and all told, you know, along with taking care of the dogs and the cats and the chickens, it's about 30 to 40 minutes in the morning to do yeah. everything.
1: Yeah, so what we used to do when we first got the cow about a year ago now is we'd both wake up together. We, we wanted to milk the cow together, so we'd both wake up at 6 and then come back in and Pete would go off to work. And we found that that wasn't working for me. It was the one thing that kind of pushed me over the edge because I was waking up at 6 a.m. and getting right to work and then I had to clean the cow gear and then I was making the cheese and making all the dairy products and I found that the extra hour of sleep for me was great so Pete loves to milk the cow he goes out I sleep in
0: yeah, I really enjoy it. It's it's really great time for me. I get to go out there and be by myself and, enjoy, and just enjoy the peace on the farm in the morning and listen to the chicken crow and...
1: The chicken crow? The
0: rooster crow <laughs> and uh, spend time with the animals. And so it's a lot of fun. I bring the milk in. And at that point, my responsibility is done. Mm-hmm. Kristen takes care of cleaning up the the cow dishes. I wake up to
1: a... A lot of dishes yeah. in the morning, Yeah, <laughs> but I get to sleep in an extra you know, hour or so, so that's nice. So so yeah, that's one misconception. People think you've got to wake up at 4 a.m. or you've got to milk the cow twice a day. We found that we like to be a, have a little more freedom in the evenings in case we wanted to go somewhere in the evening or do something in the evening, so we do not milk in the evening. And I wake up and I clean out all the cow, cow milking gear and get started on the day. So that's the cow. It's not as bad as people think. Absolutely. Um, So let's talk about um, the next big question that we get a lot is, you know how do you have the time to homeschool your children?
0: Right, that's huge.
1: Now this, we are going to do a whole other podcast about. So I'm just going to give a quick two-minute overview that homeschooling is probably not what you think.
0: It's not, yeah. At all. I think what most people think is they think school in your home yes and that's not it
1: so you think back to your school days and what that teacher did i mean that teacher worked so hard that man or woman stood in front of a classroom of maybe 20 30 kids depending on your class size and if they were a good teacher they were probably thinking of lots of different ways to reach each kid how to reach each different kid's style of learning and you know you think of busy work you think of all the little activities you had or recess or gym class or i don't know Whatever. You think about all you did and then you think, okay, I've got to do that at home.
0: Right. Well, there's so much time that passes there. And I think how much time are people actually learning at school? And it's going to be a much smaller amount of the time that they're in school. Right. It doesn't take that much time to learn. Right.
1: So that is not at all what homeschooling looks like. So if you think homeschooling is school at home, it's just not the same at all. It's one kid or, you know, two kids. It's, your kid, you know your kid, you know what your kid's strengths are, you know what your kid's weaknesses are, it's a different situation. And I could literally bring in, maybe I'll do this one day, I could bring in 20 of my homeschool mom friends, and they could all talk about their school day, and each school day would look completely different. So there's no there's no like one way to homeschool. It's just, there's a million different ways to do it, so we're going to just share how we do it, and it doesn't take really very much of my time at all.
0: At all. Right. Well, we have friends and family, people that we know and we talk to about their schooling experiences. And their kids get home from school and they got to do their homework, and their parents basically have to tutor them through most of their homework. And by the time they finish that, they've probably spent as much, as much time working with their kids as we did doing homeschooling.
1: Yeah, as I do during as home did.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> Um, yes, exactly. So yeah, you know, when I hear the projects and the and the homework people do, I'm like, wow, that's more than I did today. So what my school day looks like is I'm cleaning up the cow gear or I'm making butter or I'm making cheese and my kids are over to the side and they're doing maybe their their workbooks or um, you know and we don't have like a school time school for us happens naturally throughout the day so if i if i come downstairs and wake up and my kids are all playing really well together i don't ever like to stop them playing together to have them do school i really like to they're so young and they're so little i like them to be learning through playing and exploring and and so i don't ever really try to stop that but at some point during the day i'll say okay come sit down and do your math workbooks and and they have their math workbooks that they do my kids just pick up things really easily and that's that's not everyone's experience, so I might just tell them once, here's how you do here's how you add or subtract or do multiplication or you know, I just kind of tell them and then they do the workbooks. They have writing books for history. Now we we like to do everything through reading. So I'm not up in front of the classroom teaching history. I say, okay, here's a history book have your reading time and they learn about history. I think
0: what's neat is that what's built into every human being is a desire to learn. Like we really want to learn new stuff. That's it's really exciting. You get to try new things. I'm 36 now and I just want to learn lots of new things yeah, it's inside of me. And that's inside of a three-year-old and it's yeah. inside of a 10-year-old. And I think that um, it's naturally in kids that they want to learn how to do new things. Yeah, so Pete we I, really just want to get behind that and help encourage it.
1: Yeah. Pete and I, our main goal is to get our kids to love learning. So, So let's say for his, what does history look like? So uh, in the beginning of the year, I bought this huge book. It's called Story of the World, and it was like, you know, from ancient times. So I start reading it to my son, and I'm like, oh, I'll read this aloud every day for, you know, 10 minutes. I'll, I'll read history. I'll be the teacher and I'll read history. My son falls in love with the book. He reads basically the whole book in just a couple of days. So I'm like, okay, well, that's history for the year. So he read it twice, Story of the World. He read it twice. So now we're just kind I still of... still see him
0: pick it up sometimes. He
1: still picks it up, and he tells me things. So my son's such a fast reader, and I didn't want to be this like naive parent. He, didn't, he has never lied to me, but I was kind of like, well, there's no way you're reading these books this fast let me, I need to, maybe he's making it up. Maybe he's skipping pages. I wasn't sure like if there was something weird going on. So I I hadn't read the books that he was reading, but I would just flip it open to a random chapter and, and ask him a question, read a couple sentences and ask him a question. And He always got it right. So we really instill a love for learning. He loves history. So I just say, let's go to the library and get new history books. And then I ask him about what he's, he's learning and he's soaking it all in. And so really School happens all day. I can't tell you how people want to know how many hours does it take. I don't know. How many hours does he want to learn? Sometimes he might be reading for a half an hour. Sometimes he might be reading for four hours. So it's really kind of, you know, that's how we do school. And then I have spelling books. I have math books. I have um, handwriting books. And we just do it throughout the day. Um, I don't speak a word of Spanish. I lived in Italy for a semester and took Italian. I could not. I could not learn a foreign language. I don't know. It was just... My brain could not do it. But my kids are learning Spanish through computer programs. So I'm the Spanish teacher, and I speak no Spanish. My Spanish teaching involves putting the kids in front of the computer and overseeing it and I mean, I do a lot There's of overseeing. There's all overseen. these
0: amazing resources that are out there now for, for how kids can learn things. I mean, it's incredible. So we really, we're going to try and find as many of those good resources as we can have mm-hmm. and then put them in front of our kids and let learning happen.
1: Yeah, I just feel like my job as a teacher is to provide lots and lots of resources for them, but I don't do a ton of teaching. So, um, and that's just how it works for my kids. I mean, I know some parents have kids with learning disabilities or some kids who don't like to... Do workbooks, and it's a different story for them, but this is our story, so this is how we do it. My kids just take to learning very well, and I don't, it doesn't take up a lot of my time. So I can be doing, people say, like, how do you have time to make butter, make cheese, homeschool your your kids? Well, they're doing their school, and I'm making cheese, and we're kind of talking while it's all happening.
0: That's wonderful. One of the things we really want for our kids is not just to teach them how to do things, but to teach them how to go after things themselves and learn things themselves so mm-hmm. that's what's really happening here even at a young age to the extent that they're able to is learn how to be self-taught learn how to go after subjects that are interesting to you and learn more about them
1: yeah exactly if we can get our kids to love learning then and to go go after it themselves that's what we're going for
0: absolutely so there's homeschooling in a nutshell Yeah, and we'll
1: do a whole podcast on that
0: and we're obviously still learning a lot
1: yeah, I have a kindergartner and a first grader, so
0: right, right.
1: <laughs> um, but I will say this: my my first grader, he, his handwriting books are, you know, fourth grade. He's because I just let him go at his own pace. So I'm like, all right, you finished this workbook, let's do the next year. So, you know, we're on fourth grade. We're in second grade math. So this is working. So I don't want people to think that my kids are just falling behind. We're we're actually plowing ahead really quickly in this method that we're using. Okay, and so the next thing that we get. You know, questions is we've got 24 chickens and people think like, oh wow, chickens are so cool, but I just don't have the time. How do you have the time for chickens? And I think people think that I'm going out there and cleaning out the coop every day. And that is so far from the truth. We do chickens in a way that is very, very easy. So Pete's going to talk a little bit about that.
0: Yeah. Chickens. I really think pretty much anybody could do chickens. Mm -hmm. Anybody could do chickens. It's a lot of work to get set up and to get your infrastructure in place. That is a big effort. But once that's there, if you do it right, taking care of chickens is really, really easy.
1: And again, this is something that we could do a whole podcast on, so we're doing a quick overview. Um, and when Pete says getting the infrastructure, what he means is getting a coop, getting your your nesting boxes, because they need these little boxes to sit in to lay their eggs, and a run. Right,
0: so you build the coop, and you, you have somewhere for them, you know, a chicken run or pasture for them to go in, and that takes some effort to get set up. But once you do all of that, it's really just a question of making sure they have water, food, and collecting eggs.
1: And then close up the coop at night.
0: And closing up the coop at night, which is all stuff that my seven-year-old does. Mm-hmm. So it's really, really easy The one part that seemed really intimidating and hard was cleaning out the coop. So what happens is the coop is the part that's inside, that's protected from the weather, and people mostly put down like these pine shavings. Yeah, think about a hamster.
1: Well, think about a hamster cage a little bit bigger. Those pine shavings you buy
0: them at the store, right? So they'll put down an inch or two of those on the ground, and they're really dusty. And the chickens, when they poop, well, they'll poop on top of that, and it absorbs it really well. And so people will tell you anywhere from once a day to once a week to once every two weeks, they have to clean those out. And we started out doing that because they would, they'd start to stink after a little bit and you clearly needed to clean it out. And it was just a lot of work and it was gross work. It was dusty work. It was like, who wants to be cleaning out pine shavings with chicken poop in it? It was really gross. gross. And, And then you end up with this massive amount of of shavings like it's not good for compost because it's still mostly just uh pine shavings
1: yeah i wouldn't want to put those pine shavings all over my gardens we
0: would actually like put them in the trash because we didn't know what to do with them right so now you're throwing out your chicken manure which we really want for fertilizer The
1: best fertilizer ever
0: so i did a whole lot of research and what i found was that uh, what's called the deep litter method and this changes everything as far as i'm concerned about having chickens mm-hmm. so what you do is you end up putting down 12 to 18 inches of wood chips
1: yeah now let's I'm- explain wood chips so if you came to our farm one thing that we do differently than other people is we have like Tree workers who are chopping down trees and mulching it all up, we have them come and dump their mulch on our property. And
0: it's by the truckload, by the
1: so we have huge piles of mulch, of mulched up tree, and it's free because the tree company actually has to pay to dump their mulch somewhere. So they're happy they get to dump our, their mulch here for free. So if we're driving down the road and we see a company taking down a tree and mulching it up, we say, Hey, come and dump it for free on our property. We have we have people that come and dump it regularly for us.
0: Right. We use it for all kinds of things. One of the things we use it for is for the chicken coop. Mm -hmm. So wood chips, I think, works better than anything else for the deep litter method, in my opinion. Some people use straw, but that gets matted down and becomes anaerobic and gets just really smelly. And I, I didn't like it at all. Wood chips is really, really nice. And you put 12 or 18 inches down. And what happens is all of this really good microbial content, bacteria and fungus, starts growing in the wood chips. Mm -hmm. So this is stuff that like, if you were to dig in a a pile of really nice dirt and you get that nice earthy smell of... um, It just lets you know the soil is really healthy. What you're smelling is the bacteria and fungus that's in that soil. So you want to get as much of that good stuff going in these wood chips, and it literally decomposes the chicken poop as fast as they can make it. Mm -hmm. So... I don't clean the chicken coop. I don't have to. What I do is I wait eight or 10 or 12 months for those wood chips to break down. And they will, they'll break down. That's pretty quick for wood chips to break down, but there's all this nitrogen in the chicken poop that's coming and that binds to the carbon in the wood chips and it breaks down pretty quickly. And you end up with this really amazing compost. It's this this fine, um, super nutrient-rich compost that we can then once a year spread on all of our gardens.
1: And it's free. So before we first got chickens, I was driving to the store to buy this pine shavings and paying money and having to clean it out. Now we don't have to clean it out and it's free and it doesn't stink. That's the thing that we keep having to like, we're not, it's not like our chicken coop is dirty and gross. It smells like that earthy smell.
0: Joel Salatin talks about that. He's, you know, that That you know something is good when it smells good. You know it's bad when it smells bad. That's how you know the microbial content is at a bad place. And, uh, yeah, it smells really good. And as opposed to this old way where it was like it literally stunk after two weeks.
1: Yeah. So Pete and I actually had an argument about this because I kept saying to Pete, so Pete said, oh, I want to use wood chips for the, the chicken coop and the cow stall. And I kept saying, no, you can't do that. Like, if, if this worked, we would be able to... Because Pete said he did research. You didn't really find this in your research. You, t- you found more about... Um, bacteria, good bacteria. And right. um, I don't know all the words that you It just <laughs> seemed really intuitive to me. Yeah, well, anyway, so, so we get free mulch and, you know, we only clean out our chicken coop once or twice a year. And I said to Pete, this, this isn't going to work. If this worked, other people would have figured this out. Other people would be doing this and nobody does this. Everybody uses the pine shavings and we don't know what we're doing, but Pete's an engineer and he's really good about finding out new ways. So I guess, did you ever find other people who do this? Yeah. There
0: are a lot of people who do this for chicken. Um, if you search deep litter method, you'll see them and there's lots of different little variations on that, but there are people who do it. Um, it's definitely not the normal thing.
1: Yeah. So I was like, I wasn't finding anyone else who did this. Everyone else uses the pine stuff. And so I was just like blown away when it worked and I'm like, yeah. you're so you're so smart yeah oh thanks
0: <laughs> so smart but i'm I'm actually really enjoying this about our life right now is I pick any subject right now and I immediately find everybody does it this way, and then I say, "Well, I don't want to do it that way yeah, <laughs> because uh-huh. just because everybody does something a certain way. Means nothing to me anymore. That doesn't, uh, you know, consensus of the mass doesn't necessarily mean that I find way too many things in life where everyone's got it wrong or is doing it just a way that's too complicated. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm trying to learn how to to do hard cider now, how to how to make hard cider, and I've got, I'm really excited. I've got some cider apple trees that we ordered that are coming this spring, and I'd like to get good at that over the years. And this is a subject where it's like the second you get into it, it's so complex and everybody's doing all of these things. And I've just committed to myself. I'm going to do it the easiest possible way. Uh, and I'm going to start as simple as possible and then add things in until I know that, you know, they actually are necessary. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And we're finding that for parenting too. I mean, there's so many, so much pressure you feel like you have to do in parenting. And that's actually another thing we're going to talk about for kids with Homesteading. Like people, you know, we, we think, oh, four kids, you can't do anything else. That's that's all you can do is the four kids. Right. I was talking to somebody
0: and they had four kids and people were asking him about it, how do you have four kids? And he said, Well, I, I've come to the conclusion that you don't do anything else in life. Yeah. You just take care of your kids.
1: Yeah, right. And it, it can, you know, feel that way. So we're gonna talk about how the next thing we've done homeschool we kinda of did an overview of homeschooling, uh, milking the cow. Let's do
0: children. Right. Okay. So just to summarize what we've said so far is that how do we have the time? I think we look at everything we do in life and then realize what can we cut out of it? How can we make it more efficient or more effective? And we found that in most activities, a lot of people are doing a lot of things that don't actually help and we can cut them out and just do it more efficiently. Mm -hmm. Another way we can save a ton of time is by combining efforts and... um, one thing that has multiple purposes. So we want to spend a lot of time with our kids, but what you'll find, you know, anyone who has kids knows this is that your kids will run you into the ground with all the things they want to do. They want to be constantly eating and constantly playing games and do this, do that, you know, look at me while I do this. Yeah, and you
1: feel like you want to be a good parent. So you have all this guilt saying no to your children, oh, yeah. your kids As like, a good like, play this with me, do this with me, do this with me. I want to do this. I want to do that. And parents are just running themselves ragged, trying to make their kids happy.
0: Yeah. We've had to try and learn this balance and we have to relearn it every day, but it's hard to say no to your kids and you feel guilt. You get the parent guilt thing going. Um, but what we find is that if we just constantly do what our kids want us to do all the time, it doesn't even make them happy. Yeah, Like they, it just makes them want more. It's and a black so, hole. Um, <laughs> What's beautiful about homesteading is when I think about all the activities I do in homesteading, there's very few of them that the kids can't be a part of yeah. and a productive part of. Right. They love it. We want to put up birdhouses everywhere on the um, farm so that we can get as many birds to live here as possible. And uh, if I'm going to go make a birdhouse, I get my kids to come do it with me. yeah. And it slows me down a lot, which is okay, because I'm being with them And um, they're learning how to use tools and we'll make a birdhouse together. Right. Or we'll move mulch together or we'll plant a tree together or we'll take care of the animals together. But every time they say, hey, daddy, let's do this. I say, no, let's actually go move some mulch. No, let's go take care of the chickens. And they get excited. They want to be a part of that. But they're doing... They're working towards the goal that we have as a family as opposed to just constantly doing the things that they want.
1: Yeah, and they're little, so they're not, you know, we're not like, they're not child slave labor. We're not, we don't really get much help out of them because they're so young I mean maybe someday when they're fine strapping young men they can work the farm but right now they're not really we're not expecting to get anything out of them but it's just being together so like for example I said I was gardening all week and I said to the boys all right boys we're all going outside to play and I'm gonna play too and we're gonna play gardening (laughs) and they're like okay so we all go out in the backyard and of course I'm gardening and they're kind of playing dump trucks all around me and climbing trees and building a fort and we're all together and they're showing me stuff. Um, they're not. They're they're with me. I mean, I'm not expecting help out of them. They're not working really hard. But yeah, we're together. And my one of my little sons said to me a couple days ago, it was so sweet. He said, "Mommy, you know what I love most about our family?" And I said, "What?" And he said, "That we always be together." <laughs> and I thought that was so I sweet. I mean, yeah, we're we're always together, but we're not. We don't really let them always dictate. I mean, of course, you know, they say, hey, play checkers with me, and if I haven't done something they want to do in a while, I'll sit, make sure I play checkers every day. I try yeah. to play a checker game every well, day. Well, there's balance. I they mean, beat me every time. But. Somebody's
0: falling and getting hurting, hurt at least every 15 minutes. you yeah. got to take care of them, just like little kids are.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it, you you can intuit as a parent, like, okay, I really need to. I'll I'll read to you. I'll play checkers with you. I'll play some soccer, pitch baseball to you. But they don't dictate most of our day. We kind of say, we kind of dictate, let's go out and, you know, be in the garden, let's go take care of the cows. Let's
0: go. Right. And we well and this is together. one of the things that that really like drew us to homesteading is that these are just normal everyday activities where there's a lot to learn and there's a lot to do. And even from early ages our kids can be productive members of that. And by productive I don't mean they're they're accomplishing a whole lot right now. I just mean that they are accomplishing something and that's really important to them. Like mm-hmm. they get so excited that they got to be a part of building the birdhouse. They get so excited that they we're a part of planting the tree.
1: Yeah, Pete, what did you say earlier? Like, you know, a lot of kids in our society, they it's constant entertainment and we're they're not really contributing.
0: Right. Well, into- I think that's yeah, that's one of the things that's so hard about our culture is that it's not until you're you're twenty two years old graduating college and you're still not a contributing member of society. Mm-hmm. You've still just been learning that whole time. And I've found that I think even as young as three years old, people want to be contributing members. Like, that's what we want. We don't want to just watch something happen or learn about it. We want to do something and do something productive, do something that has meaning to it. And so, you know, if at three years old, they can, to the extent that a three year old is capable, be be a productive member and do something that's a contributing. They're not just learning about it. They're accomplishing something. Like Mm -hmm. By the time we're done, there's a real fruit tree in the ground that's going to produce real fruit. And they got to be a part of that. And in their little mind, they got to be a big part of it.
1: Right. Exactly. Yeah. So let's see. We've covered chickens and the cows and the kids and the Catholic. (laughs) We're going to mass after this, so we do of course, put the Lord first, um, what's another thing that we do? Oh, another thing to save time. So I actually, you know, my kids are still too young to be too much help with chores. So I don't have any, you know, cleaning ladies, you know, this is keeping the house clean is pretty much. I do most of that, I would say. Um, but, um, I do a lot of things to help save time. So a lot of times you think that you need, I don't know, Ten outfits for each of your children. I can't stand having laundry all around and having like the dirty laundry get mixed with the clean laundry. So we have downstairs. Well, and we started out
0: doing that. You would yeah. you would take all of their separate laundry to all their separate rooms and put it in all their separate dressers. Yeah,
1: yeah, way too much work.
0: Spend half your day doing that.
1: Yeah, you could yeah spend half your day doing laundry. So you know what I do now instead is I have a rule that we have no clothing in the bedrooms because. I am not spending my time cleaning up clothing in the bedrooms. So we have um, a closet downstairs where we keep basically all their clothes, and they only each have about six outfits or so. So we ha- they have all their clothes in one closet. Um, all their shoes are there. The diapers are there. All, everything is in that one place. So when I do their laundry, I just come and I put it all in one place, and it just keeps it really simple.
0: One of the things I really like about that is we then don't have to have dressers in their room right now or a separate dresser for each kid, is that they're all little, their clothes are small, all the clothes are in one place, Mm -hmm. and it's really easy to change them. Everyone knows where the clothes always are. It's easier for you to put away. And this one thing saves a ton of hours every week. Right. And I think that... We've looked at our life and we found that there's so many different areas like this where we can make things more efficient or just easier on ourselves and then we can accomplish a lot more.
1: Exactly. So that's kind of a lot of our... Day. What about the evenings, Pete? You have a lot of responsibility in the
0: evenings. It's not actually that much. I go down to the barn with the uh, the two older boys, and one of them takes care of the dogs and the cats. One takes care of the chicken. So I just take care of the cows. Right. And so it takes maybe fifteen minutes.
1: And when you say take care of the do- take care of the dogs and the cat, you mean feed them, make sure they have right
0: feed them, make sure they have water, mm-hmm. and that's pretty much it. Yeah. And uh, I I muck out the cow stall. To, you know, get the uh, the manure out of there. And then, uh, you know, give the cows a little bit of grain, give them some hay, make sure they have water, and that's it.
1: Yeah, and with our animals, I mean, the animals just on a farm, they don't take the same amount of work. So you also think, oh, dogs, you got to walk your dogs. And that would take a lot of time to walk your dog. We live on 10 acres. We put an electric fence around the entire property, and our dogs run free every all day, every day. So, well, and there's
0: two of them, so they're constantly playing together.
1: Yeah, and they wouldn't even know what a leash was. So
0: They get to chase a deer away every once in a while.
1: Yeah, so I don't know what the average person takes to walk their dog, but right. you know, we don't do that.
0: Right. Because it's such an active lifestyle, I'm constantly getting my exercise by being out on the farm. So instead of me running or going to a gym and just expending all of those calories just for the sake of doing it, I get to go chop wood or move mulch or do something that's very productive, but also gives me a lot of exercise at the same
1: time. Yeah, I'm a runner, so I have to run every day to be sane. So (laughs) I do run every day. Well, it's funny. I'm so... I, I realized though when I did all that gardening that I'm strong like from running, but I have no upper body strength. So I need to figure something out because I went out and dug all those holes and I'm like, I'm still so sore from that. <laughs> so I got to figure that out. I don't know if I can do a push up. I should start doing push ups. Um, yeah. So, um, oh, you know, another thing. So we're talking about the evening routine. Um, another thing that we've simplified is. Bedtime, So, um, you know, I had a lot of guilt as a parent about bedtime. Like I had to, I was supposed to tell stories and read books and lay with people. And I don't know, I feel like there's always, people talk about bedtime routines. Right, it
0: takes an hour or something. Bedtime
1: takes an hour. And we just realized that that wasn't really necessary for us. I think for some families, that is a really special time to spend time together. And I'm all for reading together and spending time together. But we were just realizing that we're together all day long. We read all day long. (laughs) Like it isn't really necessary. So bedtime routine for us is just, okay, it's seven o'clock. Let's all go brush our teeth and get in bed. And then we walk away. So, oh, I sing a Hail Mary. And that's about it. So, so so then Pete and I have seven o'clock on to just hang out together. So we, we really have, when you say, how do you have the time? I feel like we have more time than most people.
0: Yeah. I don't think that... I guess what one of the things is most of these activities that we do are integrated into our normal life. They're yeah. just part of our normal life. Yeah. And it's our way of being together. It's our way of learning. It's our way of getting exercise. It's our way of, of just having the life that we want to live. So it's not a bunch of work. How do you, you know, how do you have the time? Isn't that a lot of work? Not really. It's right. just how we spend our life.
1: Right, exactly. So when you think oh, I wouldn't have the time. How do people have the time to homestead? It just, it might not be what you think.
0: Right, and there might be a lot of things that you're doing in your life, like we were in ours, that you don't really need to do because they're not accomplishing much.
1: Yeah, so I think it's always important to stop and think outside the box and evaluate your life and the things that you're doing and, and ask yourself, Is I know everyone else is doing this, but is this really necessary for me to be doing?
0: Absolutely. All right, yeah. well, thanks for being with us.
1: Well, actually, I want to say something. Peter, okay. I haven't told you. So Pete and I this morning kind of did a... we. Before we record a podcast, we do a little rough overview of what we want to talk about, and then we just kind of let it go. But I said to Pete this morning, I said, Pete, should we ask for reviews, more reviews for our podcast? And Pete, you were like, no, we don't want to be annoying. We already asked. That's true. We, so we already asked for reviews. We don't, I don't want to be annoying. but And I didn't want to say anything then, because I didn't want you to know. But being annoying is an art. People get things done by being annoying. One of my favorite kids' book is Thank You, Sarah, about Sarah Hale. And she wanted Thanksgiving to be this national holiday. She thought Thanksgiving was so important, and America wasn't celebrating Thanksgiving. And she was so annoying. She sent thousands of letters. She got everyone to send thousands of letters to make Thanksgiving a holiday. And it's people who are annoying who get things done in our country. Like Homeschooling became legal in 1993 probably because I don't, I need to research it, but it's probably because of annoying homeschool moms. (laughs) So being annoying is an art. It's how things change in our country. Um, So I have the art of being annoying. So I'm going to ask that you please go to iTunes and leave us a review.
0: And if you're annoyed, just have mercy on us.
1: <laughs> oh, please leave us a good review, um, but because we want to get this message out there, and the way that we get it out there, the way that our podcast gets seen, is by uh, really how many reviews we have and and how many listeners that, that we have, and that's how what makes it searchable. So please take the time to leave us a review, and um, thank you for putting up with my annoyingness. <laughs>
0: awesome! All right, everyone, have a great rest of your February, and we'll talk to you next time.
1: All right, bye.